out Mitchell and Webb Sound, starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb, with Olivia Coleman and James Barton. Before everything goes off later, I just wanted to pop in and say that it really has been a pleasure, mate. You're an asset to the company and uh, a fine figure of a man. I don't know what to say, Ken. That's lovely. There is just one thing. Oh, right. What's that? And I, I feel a bit bad, really, for not mentioning it before. You've got, you've got a bit of ham by your, <laughs> just, on your, just, just below your lip. A bit of ham? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, yes, you have. But I, I didn't have ham for lunch. Rod, it's been there the whole time I've known you. What? It's been there 40 years. What? And, and you never mentioned it? Well, I was, I was going to when it happened. You know, it was at the old works canteen. It was you, me and Marion. Well, you two were talking and, and I saw it go on, the, the bit of ham, and, and I motioned, but you missed it. You were... You were raving about your new Avenger and sort of the moment had gone. For 40 years? Well, it's a bit disgusting, to be honest. You must have wondered why you never married. And, jeez, is, is that why, why I've missed a few of the key meetings? The ham? Well, the ham was a factor. The Stockholm deal? The ham. The tickets to the 66 final? The ham. The pleasuring of Sophia Loren. Once again, I'm afraid, the ham. Oh. Let me see that mirror. You mean... But that's, that's not ham. That... By my lip, that's just a funny bit of... Rub it. No, no, th this isn't ham. My God. It was ham. You see, with a good rub, it's simply... Uh... You know, now I think of it, I, I've had the feeling for as long as I can remember, that things generally did sort of smell of ham. <laughs> OK, guys, these love scenes are always a bit embarrassing, but uh, as long as you're both OK to do this now. Yep, I've had a mint. Yep, me too. <laughs> is, um, is my arm OK there? Yeah, um, actually, if you could just... Oh, what, like that? Yep, that's, that's better, thanks. Okay. OK, guys, remember that there'll be soaring music and everything. It's, it's a very beautiful moment in the film. So just try and be as relaxed as possible. Yeah, sure. OK, so in Times of Need, scene 28, take one, action. Uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, oh, now we know. Uh, now we know. Yep, now we know. Uh, Cut. <laughs> um, John. Yeah. John, you, you were talking. Was I? Yeah, you, you, you said, now we know. Now we know? Yeah. Did I? Yeah, you did a bit. <laughs> God, sorry, how weird. Not, not to worry, let's, let's go again straight away. Take two and action. Oh, oh now oh. we know. Oh, now we know. Yes, now we know. Now we know! Cut. Now we know! Cut! <laughs> sorry, I, sorry I, I know what that was. I was in her light, wasn't I? Um, a, a, a bit. No, no. More, it's so, sort of the, the same thing again, really. What? The, um, the saying, now we know. What again? Was I, Carrie? Um, yeah, you, you were. You, you keep saying, now we know. God, I didn't realise. That is so weird. Why would I do that? 
We don't know. No. <laughs> right, sorry. Well, I'll, I'll cut that right out. OK, let's try again. And this time, keep an eye on the... On the now we know, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> All right, everyone, nice and quiet. Take three and action. Uh, oh. Uh, oh. Uh, oh. Uh, oh, now we know! Oh, now we know! Now we know! You're both doing it now. Really? You're kidding. I had no idea. Are you doing it now? Well, apparently. Look, OK, let's, let's go again, but we, we won't take sound. We'll, we'll get the pictures. I can talk you through it, and we'll put the sound on later. OK. Right, take four, no sound, and action. That, that's great, John. That's it. Lots of passion. Yeah, yeah. That's good, Carrie. Just, just mind the shadow there. That's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now we know. <laughs> Well, later on on Radio 4, there's Book Talk, Book at Bedtime, and Book of the Week. And that's all after our daily in-depth look at the arts, front row. But first, I'm afraid we are occasionally forced to broadcast something for those poor sods without arts degrees. <laughs> and so here's Simon Bryant with Sciencey Stuff. Grit your teeth, it'll be over soon. switch off. Please don't switch off. Think of science, and you probably think of boring boffins messing about with test tubes, but don't switch off. Science can also mean exciting things like these exciting racing cars. It takes a staggering 50 million pounds to coax these dulcet tones from a Formula One racing car, and for that, you don't even get a mirror on the sun visor, let alone a CD player, or a cigarette lighter on the dashboard, or a beaded seat cover, let alone a glove compartment, or a sunroof, let alone a dashboard compass. To find out more, I called in for a pit stop with Chief Mechanic James Buller at the Arrows Formula One Test Centre in Drayton. I asked him how different a Formula One car really was from my old jalopy at home. Well, a Formula One machine has almost nothing in common with a normal car, for a start. So, according to James Buller at least, there wasn't much chance of me giving Michael Schumacher a run for his money in my trusty Vauxhall Vectra. But what I wanted to know was why. To find out, I flagged down Rachel Halloran, designer and engineer for Williams Renault. Well, a Formula One car is an extremely complex construction. So, if Rachel Halloran is to be believed, a Formula One car is not something Reg from the local garage is going to be able to knock up in his spare time. But complex construction spell big bucks. Just how much, I wondered, did an F1 car cost to make? Well, it's hard to answer that because... Uh... She didn't seem to know. So, <laughs> we asked some folk who ought to, if anyone does, shoppers in Damon Hill's town of Stockton. Oh, billions, I expect. More money than my little Ford Escort, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, one million pounds? Two million pounds? I don't know, 50 million pounds? 50 million pounds? That's more money than 20 million pounds and 25 million pounds put together. <laughs> but what makes these costly cars go so fast? To find out, I pulled in for a team talk with Richard Jameson, Professor of Engineering at Glamorgan University. Well, for a start, there's the question of aerodynamics. That's the flow of the air over the car. You've probably noticed that F1 cars are very close to the ground. Yes! And sort of flatter. <laughs> and sort of flatter than the cars you and I drive. Yes! That means, that means the air can pass more easily over the car, causing less drag. Then there's... That sciencey mumbo-jumbo might mean something if you're some kind of egghead, but I was way out of my depth. <laughs> I asked 
TV's boffin on a bike, Adam Hart Davis, to give me the layman's version. Well, imagine it's a windy day and you're walking along with your umbrella. Now, when it's closed, you can swing it through the air easily. But when it starts to rain and you put the umbrella up, now the wind says, oh, look, there's a lot more brolly. We can really grab onto that. So it becomes a lot more difficult to walk along. Well, it's the same with cars. <laughs> and that, thankfully, ends this month's edition of Sciencey Stuff. And now over to Mark Lawson with a retrospective of the films of David Lean. Ah, that's better. <laughs> the next station is Marble Arch. Sorry. I'm really sorry. Excuse me. Oh, sorry, sorry. Could, could you give me a hand? Yeah, thanks. Sorry, thanks very much. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, there is a man on this train moving between the carriages with a grand piano. <laughs> he earns three times what you or I earn. Please do not give him any money. And so we reach the most joyful part of the ceremony. Nick and Rosanna have written their own wedding vows, and I shall ask them to exchange them now. Rosanna, it's, it's been eight years now since we started going out, and with each day that passes, I've felt more and more strongly that neither of us are getting any younger. <laughs> We're both well past 30 now, and basically, unless we get married, we should probably split up. But I've moved in with you now, and I'm buggered if I'm carrying all those books back down four flights of stairs. Nick, um, from the first moment I met you, I knew that compared to other men, you're a six at best. Um, with my holiday tan on, I'm a seven, and I could do so much better, but I just honestly can't be bothered. Anyway, you've been gratifyingly unobservant of the two affairs I've had during our relationship. Um, uh, also, my mum's been going on and on at me to get married all my life, and by marrying you, I hope to teach her a sharp, unpleasant lesson. Rosanna, you and I have something between us. I don't know what it is. I'm not even sure I like it. <laughs> Your habits are annoying, yes. And they may get more annoying in time, especially if you continue to turn into your mother, which all the signs are that you will. <laughs> On the other hand, you've learnt to sleep through those funny spasm things I do when I'm dreaming, and you have a nice car. <laughs> and you're slightly thicker than me, which I quite like. <laughs> and the bottom line is, if things get tough in seven or eight years, we can always jack it in. And so I ask you, in this sacred place, Rosanna... Will you be my first wife? Go on, then. You may now kiss the bride. No, it's fine. <laughs> Hello. Excuse me? Oh, don't get up. I'm just browsing. What the hell do you think you're doing? I just came to look at the books. What do you mean you just came to look at the books? This is my house. <laughs> what? I live here. You've just walked into my house. Sorry, I, I thought it was a bookshop. The door was open. The door was unlocked. Oh, I see. I'm supposed to lock the door, am I? That's the only way to stop people just wandering into my home off the streets. It's just with all the books and the bell on the door. Yes, I've got a bell on the door. I like bells. It jingles when I walk in. I think it's rather jolly. I, I'm sorry, it just looks so much like a bookshop. 
with the shelves and the big window. And... I like my window. I like to sit here with a glass of wine and watch people going about their business. And you've got a sign that says special offer. That was here when I came. <laughs> oh, did it used to be a bookshop? I haven't the faintest idea what it used to be. It honestly never occurred to me to trouble the previous owner for such personal information. Sorry, I'll go. Do you want me to turn the sign round so it says closed? No! I want you to stop touching my possessions and get out. Darling, did you sell any books? No, darling. I think somehow I blew it again. Morning. Morning. Good weekend. What? Had a good weekend? No, of course I haven't had a good weekend. I'm a pit pony. Well, <laughs> we're all pit ponies. I was just wondering if... Uh... No, I was down the pit for 18 hours, then dinner, then sleep, then down the pit again. It was a rubbish weekend. Yes, well, goes with the territory, doesn't it? You know what they say? If you don't like being in a pit, don't become a pit pony. <laughs> I don't remember being given a choice. No, it, it's not a vocational type of job, pit ponying. I'll give you that. It's not like Jim Carner work, say, or dressage. It's more the sort of thing you just find yourself doing. Yes, from birth. Yes. Until death. Yes. The early, painful death of exhaustion and respiratory disease, which is the inevitable lot of the pit pony. Well, you're going to be all morbid about it. So, did you see the match? No. I saw some coal, and then I saw my dinner. Not only did I not see the match, I have no concept of what a match might be. And I'm frankly surprised that you do. Just trying to make conversation. <laughs> going anywhere nice for your holidays? No, I'm not going on holiday. I never have, I never will, and nor will you. The basic concepts I understand are coal and dinner. Nothing else. Got it. Oh, don't be such a misery. You must have some hopes, some dreams. Sometimes I dream of there being less coal. <laughs> or more dinner. That's it. All right. Got it? Yes. Good. So, what are you driving these days? <laughs> this evening on BBC One, part four of the BBC's major new dramatisation of the life of Mahatma Gandhi, starring Ross Kemp. This week, all the fasting is doing Gandhi's head in and the British are out of order. But now it's the Heaven and Earth show which welcomes viewers of every different faith and philosophy and insults them all equally with the towering arrogance of its insipid middle-class banality. So let's dangle one ambivalent toe in the vast ocean of human rage and bewilderment just for an hour and then the snooker. This is an appeal on behalf of Hairdressers Sans Frontieres. Every day throughout the world, our stylists are working to help the very poorest people find better ways to manage the appearance of their hair. <laughs> stylists like Antoine. When I first arrived, I was overwhelmed by the scale of the problem here. I saw more split ends in three days than I would have seen in a whole year at the salon. <laughs> In my time here, I've seen all seven signs of unhealthy-looking hair. <laughs> Many people's hairstyles are 10 or 20 years out of date. Very little fashion news gets through to here. That's the real problem with living in a dictatorship. Cheryl has worked in our El Salvador branch for the past three years. 
I mean, it's not that there's a shortage in the supply of leave-in conditioner. It's just getting it to the people on the ground who really need it. <laughs> I just get so angry when I see the local militias driving around in their armoured cars with glossy, lustrous hair. <laughs> you can tell they've been using a volumising mousse. It makes me sick. This is Mwewe. She has to walk 15 miles every day to collect clean water. And that's why I gave her this short, very manageable look. <laughs> with a bit of length on top because she carries a lot of weight on her head. For just £4 a month, you can make a real difference to the condition of real people's hair. For their sakes, please give as much as you can afford to Hairdressers Sans Frontier today because they're worth it. Oh, and that's a bad miss. Yes, Peter Ebden will be very disappointed with that. And as he walks back from the table, Ted, what do you suppose will be going through his mind? He'll have plenty to think about, Peter. He'll be asking himself, how did I miss that red? When am I next going to get back to the table? But I think most of all, he'll be thinking about that pint. You're spot on, Ted. He'll be imagining that pint at the end of the session and how good it's going to feel. Yes, you're right. He's just got to focus on that cooling lagery swallow and that first suck on a Lambert. That was a smashing pot from Tony Drago, but he's left himself awkward on the pink. This is a massive pink for Tony. Not as massive as that brown in the last frame, but still an enormous pink. Ted, he's going to need all his concentration as he takes this pot on. He'll want to clear his mind of all distractions. Yeah. Let's just hope he's not thinking about what the minibar might have in store for him in his hotel room tonight. And he's missed it. Well, can you really blame him? I think inevitably he allowed himself to be put off by the thought of that huge whiskey and coke he'll be having in the shower as he gets ready to come downstairs for dinner in the hotel's Grosvenor Carvery. It is excellent there. Coming soon to a movie theater near you, Anthony Trollope is the Wordmaster. Look out! He's writing! My God, look at the words! The drama. My pen! I've lost my pen! I've got a great idea and I can't find... Oh, no, there it is. The good times. Oh, goodness, this is good writing. I'm writing my head off. The passion. I'm writing by the seat of my pants. And the sorrow of the end. It's so ironic. He loved words. Now he's so old he can hardly remember any words. Anthony Trollope is the Wordmaster. Great news. I've just been on the phone to the bank and they've agreed the loan. Oh, great. great. Yeah. So now we can go ahead and start up our own dry cleaning business. Oh, great. No more working for other dry cleaners. Finally, we can really go it alone. So the last thing to decide is, what shall we call it? Well, I've been having a think about this and I think it should definitely be a funny name. Oh, great, yeah. Everyone likes that. Like a hairdresser that's called Fringe Benefits or a cut above. Oh, yeah, they're really clever. Um, so, so what would one for a dry cleaning shop be? Well, I've had an idea, actually. Oh, yeah? I think it's funny. It's certainly a phrase I've heard, but I'm not quite sure what it means. What, what is it? It's touching cloth. <laughs> oh, great, yeah. 
touching cloth. That's certainly a phrase I've heard. It has a ring to it, doesn't it? So, what does it mean? Well, obviously, part of what it means is, is what we would be doing. You know, uh, as, as dry cleaners, we will spend most of the day touching cloth. Yeah, and of course, our customers who bring their clothes in for us to dry clean, they'll all be touching cloth as well. Great. Well, I, it all works brilliantly. And what's more, I think what will make it really funny is that I think that touching cloth has a double meaning. I'm just not quite sure what it is. Well, that's great, but I think it's probably quite important that we find out what exactly the other meaning of touching cloth might be before we call the sign writer or get the notepaper printed. Yeah. Um, does anybody know what the other meaning of touching cloth is? I know. <laughs> oh, good. Is it funny? Yes, it is. It, <laughs> it is funny. So, so what does it mean? Well, when you're touching cloth, what you're doing is that you so need a poo that you've sort of started to poo yourself but managed to stop at the point where a bit of the poo is actually touching the cloth of the inside of your pants. Oh, right. I had no idea there was a name for that. Uh, that, that is funny, yeah. It's, it's funny because it involves poo. Yeah, it is very funny. So, we'll, we'll call it that then, shall we? I'm game. Tell you what, my, my only slight... It's only a half-worry, but is the association of getting poo on clothes, which I agree is funny, is that association appropriate for a business such as dry cleaning, which is, after all, supposed to be about getting clothes clean? Oh, yeah. But I don't think it's really a problem. No. No, I mean, you can worry too much about these things. Yeah, and the way I see it, there's an upside, because I think the message we'll be giving is that even if you have got poo on your clothes, we can handle it. In fact, we could almost call it touching cloth question mark. Touching cloth? Then step this way. Morning, Jeff. Hey, Tobes. Actually, Jeff, if you've got a moment, I've got a bit of bad news. It's the Robertson dog shampoo contract. We didn't get it. I I'm really sorry. Oh, that's a shame. Still, um, it was looking like a lot of work for minimum cash, so it's... Uh... Actually, sorry, who are those blokes? Them. They're, they're my backing music. They heighten the drama of my everyday life. Oh, look, here here's Paul. No, no, guys, that, that's not this, Paul. Th this is Paul who sent that funny memo with the do's and don'ts of marketing strategy. Take it easy, Paul. <laughs> Don't mind them. It's just my band. OK, need to get some photocopying paper. What? R relax, guys. It's, it's just a stationary cupboard. Toby! Ah! What? What's the knife for? What's going on? No, it's a letter opener, Toby. I, I wanted to see you about this letter from head office. What is it? Oh, nothing much. About switching the office to broadband. I thought we could discuss it over lunch. Uh, OK. Lunch will be great. Look, I'm sorry about these guys. They're my band. <laughs> guys, it, it's not like that. It's, it's just lunch. Yeah, but I guess we could make it somewhere nice. Yeah, well, well, that would be good. That would be great. And uh, no need to rush back to the office, is there? I guess, Toby. Well, <laughs> sure, of course not. 
Oh, this is going to be brilliant, Kelly. I, I didn't know you had any feelings like... Oh, oh, you know what? Why didn't you sweep me off to... to Paris? Uh, wow, yeah. I, I suppose it's just I'm, I'm not made of money. I mean, I, I don't know, to be honest, how I'm going to pay the band. Oh, God. Well, if we're having Freddie, we've got to have Daphne and Velma as well. Yeah, those three are absolutely priceless, especially when Velma does her losing her glasses routine. Yeah, that kills me. Why doesn't she get contacts? Oh, I think it's a lesbian thing. <laughs> hey, do you think they'll bring their fantastic van? Oh, fingers crossed. I love the fact that they can have a van like that but not be on drugs, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's brilliant, that straight-laced thing they've got going on. Oh, I've just had a thought. What? Well, if we invite Freddie, Daphne and Velma, there's a chance they'll bring that other one. Oh, God, the scrawny one, the one who doesn't wash. What's his name? Well, we don't know. I mean, he calls himself Shaggy, but <laughs> I certainly don't believe that's his name. I think it's some kind of hollow sexual boast. <laughs> I think it definitely is. He's desperately trying to present himself as a sort of stud, despite being quite ugly and incredibly cowardly. <laughs> the last time I saw him, he was literally shaking, and he spent most of the evening scampering up and down a very long corridor that happened to be there. Maybe we're being too hard. I mean, he's obviously insecure. He's so thin, and he's always shaking. He's probably in the throes of some gritty smack battle. <laughs> Let's ask him along. Yeah, I mean, how much harm can he do? Although... What? There's a chance, just a small one, that he might bring his dog. Oh, God, not his ruddy dog. He won't bring his dog. People don't bring their dogs to parties. Shaggy does. <laughs> if anyone is going to bring a dog to anything, he is going to bring his dog to this. Do you know, I think that dog's been mistreated in the past. It's incredibly nervous. You remember that Halloween party that Shaggy was at? <laughs> Every time a new person walked in, dressed as a ghost or whatever, the dog would have an absolute fit, made the most unnatural noises, and jumped into Shaggy's arms. Yeah, but I tell you, that's not the worst of it. Remember at Jodie's? You remember Jodie, her dad owns that disused fairground. <laughs> anyway, I was just popping to the kitchen for some more ice, and who should I find but Shaggy and his dog assembling the two tallest sandwiches I have ever seen? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I think Shaggy must be very bitter because he's obviously invested quite a lot of time in teaching that dog to talk and it just can't. Yeah, it's, it's a pity because, of course, the dog's nephew, also a dog, a little puppy, actually talks very well. Of course, that's right. I met that little dog once and it actually speaks very good English. It's also quite a lot braver if a little impetuous. It is a bit impetuous, but I think you've got to forgive that of a talking dog. Yes, I think you do. <laughs> that Mitchell and Webb sound starred Robert Webb, David Mitchell, Olivia Coleman, and James Barkman. It was written by David Mitchell and Robert Webb, Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, David Quantic, James Barkman and Mark Evans, John Finnemore, and Chris Reddy. And the producer was Gareth Edwards.